There was a pastor who got up one weekend and he preached a powerful sermon on an important topic. The people were, you know, they heard what he had to say and the next week, wondering, what's the pastor going to talk about this week? Well, he gets up and he delivers the exact same message. And the people are thinking like, wait, I, th I think I've heard this story somewhere before. Sounds familiar. Wait, this, we went to that passage last week. And he, he said the same thing. Pastor doesn't realize that he's preaching the same sermon again. Oh, no. Poor guy. He, he must be tired and so busy. He just forgot. Well, so they didn't say anything to him because they didn't want to make him feel bad. Well, the third week, he gets up. He opens up his notes and he starts with the same opening illustration. He says, please turn in your Bible. And they're thinking, I know exactly where he's going. And sure enough, they go to the exact same passage. And so finally, one brave soul at the end of the sermon, as they're shaking the pastor's hand, was brave enough to say, Pastor, I think, I think, I think you may have preached that a couple times before. And the pastor said, well, when I see that it's been applied in your lives, I'll stop preaching it. <laughs> you know, as we're going through 1 John, you may feel like we're hitting some of the same topics again. It's not because I'm trying to do what the pastor was doing, but it's probably because God is doing that, right? So I invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 4, where again we talk about that four-letter word, L-O-V-E, love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. When something's important, God repeats it. And there are few things more important than love. And so you better believe, not only in this letter, but in the rest of the Bible, we're going to see the concept of love repeated over and over again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Today I'm reading from the New King James Version. What's the first word in verse 7? In a lot of our Bibles, I heard you saying, Beloved. Other people say, Dear. Beloved. That's the Greek word agapetoi, which is from the word agape. The ones who are loved. And then he says the following words, let us love one another. Loved ones, love one another. He's got two words back to back that are both based off of the word agape. The ones who are loved, love one another. And we'll find that that's actually kind of the big idea for this sermon. Because we've been loved, now show the love to other people. And so we start our passage, beloved, loved one, love one another. For love is from God. Literally in the Greek it says, for love is out of God. Agape comes from God. He is the source of love. And everyone who loves is born of God. Same Greek construction. Everyone who loves, the one loving, is out of God. So if you want 
To love, you need to make sure that you also are out of God because it's coming from the same source. You ever buy water, bottled water in the store, and sometimes it says bottled at the source. Would you prefer it if it said bottled a thousand miles downstream? Why do, why do they like to advertise and say, oh, it's bottled at the source in Fiji? It gives you the impression that it's the purest, right? And it probably is the purest. Bottled at the source. So we want love. We need love in our lives. Where do we want to get it? Downstream? There's a lot of polluted love in our world. Love that has been mixed with the pollutants and the toxins of sin and our society. And that's a lot of times where we go and we think we can find love there and we can get love for ourselves. But God is saying in this passage, love is out of God. God is the source of love. So if you want the pure, undiluted, undefiled love, you got to go and get it from God directly. And if you want to have that love, you have to be born of God. It has to be out of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you got to be born again. You can't have that love unless you're born again. So if we don't have that love in our lives, what do we need to do? We need to be born again. We need to go to God and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Put a new heart. Put love in my heart because I don't have it. I don't have it as much as I want, Lord. Beloved, the ones who are loved, let us love one another, because love is out of God, love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That Greek word there is gnosko, which is the, the knowledge of experience. It's not the knowledge of, of mere intellect. To know God is to love God. And the more you know Him, the more your experience will be changed by Him. You ever find yourself picking up phrases and little mannerisms from your friends, from your family. I remember working at camp years ago, and there was a guy there, and he would say these little phrases, and for some reason a lot of us caught on to that, and we would say those same phrases. And then when I went to college, I would use those same phrases, and then my roommate would start using those phrases. And it was funny, all because of one person, because we were hanging out with that one guy. That influence can, go, can be good or bad. So it only stands to reason, if we want to be more like God, if we want to love more like God, who do we have to hang out with? God. God, why isn't my character being changed? God says, who are you hanging out with during the week? What are you hanging God, why is my character more like the bad things in the world? Maybe it has to do with who we're allowing to influence us, what we're allowing to influence us. Now, it's not saying we should go off and live in a monastery by ourselves, right? But we've got to be saturated with God's Word, with His presence, talking to Him throughout our day, starting our day, and ending our day with Him. Verse 8, He who does not love 
does not know God. If you think you know God, but you're not filled with love, oops, you're wrong, the author says. You gotta know God. Why? Look at the end of that verse. Because God is what? God is love. We know those words so well, but they're so powerful. I was thinking about it, and we could, do, we could spend a whole year talking about those three words. God is love. It's not saying that God is equal to love. If, if it was saying that, then love would also be equal to God. And, and that's a perspective that people in our world have. They think that love equals God. But it's the other way around. And it's a little different than that. God is love. In other words, one of the essential and foundational characteristics of God's character is love. But God is not limited to being described by love. God is a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. God is a creative God. But all these things fit and funnel through this filter of love. We might say Sarah is loving, but we wouldn't say Sarah is love. Only God is love. This is such a, a, a deep and a powerful phrase. And we have to understand every aspect of God through it. You know, when we read about Jesus on the cross, we realize God is love. When we read in Psalms and we hear David proclaiming that the heavens declare the glory of God, we say, wow, God is love. But in the same uh, way, we have to take that same understanding of God and when we read the stories that are challenging to understand, stories where God had to punish people, we have to have it through the filter of God is love. Loving parents have to, from time to time, discipline their kids. But they don't do it because they hate their kids. They do it because they love their kids and they want their kids to grow up and make it to adulthood and make good choices in their life. But at the time, it doesn't always seem to us like our parents love us. Do you ever get confused about your parents' uh, affection towards you when you're a teenager, maybe? Man, my parents hate me. Why are they doing this? They just want me to... They don't want me to have any fun, and they just want to ruin my life. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand if you've said that or heard that. And that's how we feel sometimes. But then you grow up, and you have your own kids, and you realize, oh, my parents didn't hate me. I just was a fool. <laughs> right? I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what was best for me. My parents loved me even though they didn't let me eat all the cookies I wanted, even though they didn't let me go do this and do that at any time, stay up at all hours of the night. And so there are some things that I think we read in the Bible right now, and it's like we're a teenager, and we don't understand God's intent through them. But one day, I believe we will, and we'll look at those stories that confused us, and we'll say, wow, God truly is love. We're not going to go into a lot of detail today, but, but even in the most troubling passages, 
I believe in the end we will find out God has always been a God of love. We read stories about um, the conquest of Canaan and the commandment that God gave to his people to, uh, to fight with the other nations and destroy them totally. And we say, wow, how can God be a God of love? This is a, this is a troubling passage. And I could refer to you some, some books to read on those subjects. But think about it like this. In order for God to save the world, who had to ultimately come and rescue the world? Jesus, right? The seed, the promised one, had to be born. Well, what happens if in the meantime, the line of the the Messiah is extinguished? What happens if that line of salvation is cut off, is killed? What happens if it's so polluted by idolatry and by wickedness that, that the people are incapable of getting to a point where the Messiah is able to be born and save the world. The mission for God to save humanity and even rescue the people who are dying, God had to preserve a line. God had to allow Christ to come. And so sometimes there were some very difficult choices that had to be made in order to protect and preserve the seed. But in the end, God was doing it all because God is love. And God has the power to even redeem from the grave people who have gone down into the grave. We could talk a lot about these subjects, but in every story, I challenge you to first put on the filter that says God is love. Because before Christ came down, people could maybe question and say, well, I'm not so sure about this God that we serve. Perhaps they could do that, even though God had given them many reasons to trust and believe. But when Christ came down and he manifested the love of eternity on that cross to say, hey guys, this is who I really am. This is what I'm doing for you. I'm not enjoying this, but I'm doing it because you can't live throughout without it and you won't know my love without it. We can look back and trust a God who's willing to die. He's saying, I won't put you through anything I'm not willing to go through myself because I am love. The fact that God is love also helps explain the realities that are in our world. Uh, Sometimes painful realities that come about because of free choice. As we know, for there to be true love... There has to be true freedom, absolute freedom. Absolute freedom involves risk, right? God didn't want to just create a bunch of computers, a bunch of robots. He couldn't love. Love couldn't truly exist in that fashion. And so God had to create us. Being a God of absolute love, he had to give us absolute freedom. And with that freedom comes risk. Hence, a lot of the Uh, the damage in our world. But in the end, it all comes back to the filter that God is love and God has a plan to make all things new. But you got to have that choice. I was was talking to my phone earlier 
I was asking Siri if she loves me. We'll see, we'll see what she has to say. Hey Siri, do you love me? Well, you're definitely starting to grow on me. Oh, that's nice. Let's, let's, try, let's try it again. It's really fun. Hey Siri, do you love me? My ontology does not contain a representation of love. Such a pity. <laughs> My ontology does not contain a representation of love. Siri even recognizes she's limited because somebody programmed her to say those things. That's not how God operates. Absolute love, total love, requires total freedom, even if it's freedom to make choices that are against that love. God is love. It helps us view the Bible. It helps us view the good and the bad. It helps us recognize what's going on in our world and recognize this wonderful freedom that we have. But it also teaches us about the very nature of God. Let me read you something from Ty Gibson. Have you heard of him before? Great Adventist preacher. Love what he has to say. He's written a lot of good books, too. He says, Three is the essential numeric value of love. Where there is only one person, love cannot occur. Where there are two, each is the sole recipient of the other's attention, giving place to self-absorption. If you just have one, you can't just love yourself. There's nobody to love. If there are just two, well, you're only loving the person, maybe because they love you back, and it's just this cycle. But there's, you're still not completing the picture of love. But then he says, but the moment there are three, each recipient of anyone's love must also humbly defer also attention to the third party. And each is the third party to the other two. Pure selflessness can now occur by virtue of the fact that each one must love and be loved with both an exclusive and a divided interest. The pure biblical genius of identifying God as triune fellowship rather than as an absolute singularity or as even as a dualism is convincing evidence that the Bible in fact is the revelation of the one and only true God whose essential nature is love. Did you follow that? If there's just one person, how can you say John is love if there's nobody for John to love except for himself? And that's not true love, just self-love. If there are only two people, why, there's no other choice, right? If you're stranded on a desert island with one person, you might fall in love with them because, you know, what other choice do you have? Or you might not fall in love with them. But when there are three or more, then it gives options. And, and you have to be selfless in your love. You can't just focus all your attention on this one person. You have to be giving and sharing and receiving. And this isn't a metaphor for, for mul marrying multiple people, of course. Right? In a marriage, the other person are your kids or your friends or your family, other people in the world. So the very fact that God is love is evidence that God is a trio, has always existed as a trio. God is light, teaches us so much. So the passage says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So what's love look like? 
You ever wondered that? You know, we talk about, oh, we need to love each other. Well, what's that look like in my week? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know it well, but we need to read it more often than we do. We know we're supposed to love, but what does love look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know that God is love, so I want to just do something real quick here. And I want to substitute love for God. Listen to it, starting in verse 4. God suffers long and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely, does not seek his own. God is not provoked, and God thinks no evil. Nor does he rejoice in iniquity, but God rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. Now let's put your name in there. Let's read it again and substitute the word love for your name. Do it in your mind. I can't say all your names all at once. But see how, see how it feels. How do, you, how do you stack up against this? Love, insert your name, suffers long and is kind. Blank does not envy. Love does not parade their self, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek their own. How are you doing so far? Is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love, you, do not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have some more growing to do. Can you identify with that? We can never say we've arrived in the Christian experience. It's not a cause for despair as we read this and realize just how far we have to go, but it's a cause to get on our knees more often than we do literally or metaphorically, and ask God day by day for that new heart. God, I can't love this person, but you can. Would you come into my heart and love them through me? We should read this passage more often. Give us more things to pray about in our own personal time. But let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. We've already seen we're the recipients of love. Beloved, love one another. Love is from God. So are we if we love. If you say you love, but you don't, or if you say you know God, but you don't love, then you really don't know God because God is love. And now verse 9. What does love look like for God? In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. God, what does love look like? God says, I showed it to you. I sent my only son to show you exactly what love is like. God, how's that love? Why didn't you come down yourself if you love us so much? You sent your son to do the dirty work for us? Nope. Parents, what would be harder for you? Sacrifice yourself or sacrifice your kids? 
I know my mom, sometimes when I'd be sick, she'd say, oh, I wish I could take it away. I wish it was me that was sick instead of you. And I believe she meant it. Harder for God the Father to watch God the Son suffer than it would have been for God the Father to suffer. And of course, there's no um, ultimate hierarchy uh, in the Trinity, in the Godhead. But they've taken on these different roles. Some people get kind of hung up on the term begotten, the only begotten. They want to know what that means. It's the Greek word monogenes, used in John 3.16, and so forth. But it's interesting because that word is used in other places, like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, where it says that Isaac was Abraham's monogenes, only begotten son. Wait, did, did Abraham have another son? And who, who was it? Ishmael, who came first? Ishmael, right? So, so this term, when you look it up, it's actually meaning basically one and only, the unique one. He's special, designated because of relational position or because of some other unique characteristic. Christ coming down was extremely unique. Being born of Mary, extremely unique. And there was that day when God said, this is my son, today you are begotten. Christ was begotten. He came down to be that unique demonstration of who God is so that we might live through him. If Jesus didn't do it, we couldn't live. We couldn't have eternal life, and we sure couldn't grow and become more loving people throughout him, with him. Our life has to be run through Him, through the source. If you want to be loving, it has to be through Jesus. It's not a matter of gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to love today, whether I like it or not. I love you. It's not a matter of eating the right cereal in the morning in order to be loving, like the Wheaties commercial from back in the day. Oh, didn't eat my Wheaties. That must be the problem. No, it's probably because you didn't have your devotions that you're not loving today. I have some friends, that when the one would be a little grouchy, they would say, did you spend time with God this morning? And usually it'd be like, well, I, no, I didn't. You know, or I didn't spend very good time. You wake up in the morning, your heart's like an ice cube. You need to spend time with God, letting it melt every single day so your heart can be tender and receptive and ready to go on his errands. But he loved us even before we could love him back. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We didn't initiate this love transaction, this love demonstration. God initiated it. And that's risky. If you've ever asked somebody out on a date, asked somebody to marry you, there's a risk involved there. Or in grade school, we tried to mitigate the risk by sending a third party with a note, right? Do you like so-and-so? Check yes or check no, or, or maybe there was a check maybe. You ever write any of those? Get them? And people are doing that because they, they don't want to take the risk of stepping out, but, you know, if somebody else kind of does the work behind the scenes, then they feel less exposed and... They're, they're not sticking themselves out to be vulnerable. 
But God said, no, 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 none of that. Here I am. I'm doing this to demonstrate my love, whether you love me back or not. He knew what he was getting into, and he did it to be the propitiation, basically to take care of our sin problem and to make it right. And then we get to our last verse for the day. Verse 11. And what's that first word again? Beloved. Again, reminding us, you people are loved. You've experienced the blessings of being in a loving relationship. So he says, beloved, ones who are loved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If you've experienced this joy, why not spread it to other people? It's just selfish to hold on to it. Tell somebody, love somebody, show somebody just how much you love them. I read an article on CNN online a while ago, and I just had to share part of it. The lady said this. She said, it was hours outside of Paris in a small village where the buildings are centuries old that I attended my first French engagement party. A young woman named Lily greeted me when I arrived, and she was glowing as she set the table with cheese, crackers, and French pastries. We were surrounded by picture frames of her and the token of her affection. And together we toasted her engagement to a robot. Lily built the robot herself. 3D printing dozens of parts in the lab nearby, and she plans to eventually add artificial intelligence. The first words she wants to program are, I love you. Lily says when she was 19, she realized she didn't like people. Lily says, it was a slap in the face. I wondered what's happening to me. She said, I wanted myself to be attracted to humans, but I just wasn't. So after my first relationship, I had a second one, but it went against my own nature. So it was all the more disastrous. Each night, Lily snuggles with her robot by her side. She places him on the couch while she's away, and when you watch her look into his eyes, you can see that she feels a genuine affection for it. I don't consider him to be a stupid machine, she says, but he's not a human either, and I love him the way that he is. It wasn't her parents' divorce or a trauma that impacts who she loves, she says. Well, what she loves, she says, Perhaps it's more about control. Lily prefers mechanical faults, an error in a code to a human one. He won't be an alcoholic or violent or a liar, all of which can be human flaws, she explains. I prefer the little mechanical defects to the human ones, but that's just my personal taste. Those qualities, both good and bad, are, what, are part of what makes us human, but Lily doesn't believe that humanity is a necessary ingredient for happiness. Love is love. It's not that different, she says. And the article continued. I don't share this to say shame on Lily and what a crazy person she is. I believe that she has a genuine affection for this robot that she's created. Uh, it doesn't have skin on it yet. It's still 
kind of more skeletal in its design. But I think, man, our society has reached a, a sad point where there's not sufficient genuine love in our interactions with one another. And so people feel, because they're not receiving that love from humans, they have to turn to other sources, turn to their robot, turn to their cell phone, turn to their computer. And today, as we end, I just ask the question, what kind of a, of a church do we want to have? What kind of an environment do we want to have in our church, in our community? What kind of people do we want to be? Do we want to be the type of person who is devoid of God's love and so people turn to robots instead of loving interactions with us? Or do we want to have the heart of Jesus beating and flowing through our lives, the blood of Christ, the life of Christ in our hearts, so when people interact with us, they sense that there is a God loving through us. I want to have that love in my life. Blank is love. We know the answer is God, but God wants there to be some other answers to that as well. He wants your name. He wants my name. He wants all of us to be a part of his love to show the world and to save the world. So who wants that love in their life? Who has all the love they need and can't get any more of it? Let's go to the source each day. Spend quality time filling up our love cup with God's love every single day. And let's pray for opportunities this week to demonstrate that love in the 1 Corinthians practical application way or in any other way you might find. Let's pray. Dear God, it's impossible for us to truly love others without you. We've all admitted this morning our helplessness to do this task outside of your strength. So Lord, come into our lives. Remind us of the importance of spending time with you, asking for your spirit, asking for your love, and give us awesome opportunities to love people this week. Just get us excited about loving people more in practical and real ways today, tomorrow, and each day. This is our prayer. Let all God's people say, Amen. God bless you, and go in God's love.